0: Thank you for joining me for this final chapter of W. Somerset Moms of Human Bondage, Chapter 122. He had arranged to meet Sally on Saturday in the National Gallery. She was to come there as soon as she was released from the shop, and had agreed to lunch with him. Two days had passed since he had seen her, and his exultation had not left him for a moment. It was because he rejoiced in the feeling that he had not attempted to see her. He had repeated to himself exactly what he would say to her, and how he would say it. Now his impatience, he had written to Dr. South, and had in his pocket a telegram from him received that morning. "'Sacking the impish fool, when will you come?' "'Philip walked along Parliament Street. "'It was a fine day, and there was a bright, frosty sun "'which made the light dance in the street. "'It was crowded, there was a tenuous mist in the distance, "'and it softened exquisitely the noble lines of the buildings. "'He crossed Trafalgar Square. "'Suddenly his heart gave a sort of twist in his body. "'He saw a woman in front of him who he thought was Mildred.' She had the same figure, and she walked with that slight dragging of the feet which was so characteristic of her. Without thinking, but with a beating heart, he hurried till he came alongside, and then, when the woman turned, he saw it was someone unknown to him. It was the face of a much older person with the lined yellow skin. He slackened his pace. He was infinitely relieved, but it was not only relieved that he felt— It was disappointment, too. He was seized with horror of himself. Would he never be free from that passion? At the bottom of his heart, notwithstanding everything, he felt that a strange, desperate thirst for that vile woman would always linger, that love had caused him so much suffering that he knew he would never, never be quite free of it. Only death could finally assuage his desire. But he wrenched the pain from his heart, "'He thought of Sally with her kind blue eyes, "'and his lips unconsciously formed themselves into a smile. "'He walked up to the steps of the National Gallery "'and sat down in the first room "'so that he should see her the moment she came in. "'It always comforted him to get among pictures. "'He looked at none in particular, "'but allowed the magnificence of their color, "'the beauty of their lines, to work upon his soul. "'His imagination was busy with Sally.' "'It would be pleasant to take her away from that London "'in which she seemed an unusual figure "'like a cornflower in the shop among orchids and azaleas. "'He had learned in the Kentish Hopfield "'that she did not belong to the town, "'and he was sure that she would blossom "'under the soft skies of Dorset to a rarer beauty. "'She came in, and he got up to meet her. "'She was in black, with white cuffs at her wrists, "'and a lawn collar around her neck.' "'They shook hands. "'Have you been waiting long? "'No, ten minutes. "'Are you hungry? "'Not very. "'Let's sit here for a bit, shall we? "'If you like.' "'They sat quietly side by side without speaking. "'Philip enjoyed having her near him. "'He was warmed by her radiant health. "'A glow of life seemed to— "'A glow of life seemed like an aureole to shine about her. "'Well, how have you been?' "'He said at last with a little smile.' "'Oh, it's all right. It was a false alarm. Was it? Aren't you glad?' An extraordinary sensation filled him. He had felt certain that Sally's suspicion was well-founded. It had never occurred to him for an instant that there was a possibility of error. All his plans were suddenly overthrown, and the existence, so elaborately pictured, was no more than a dream which would never be realized. He was free once more. Free!' he need give up none of his projects and life was still in his hands for him to do whatever he liked with he felt no exhilaration but only dismay his heart sank the future stretched out before him in desolate emptiness It was as though he had sailed for many years over a great waste of waters, with peril and privation, and at last had come upon a fairer haven, but as he was about to enter, some contrary wind had arisen and drove him out again into the open sea, and because he had let his mind dwell on these soft meads and pleasant woods of the land, the vast deserts of the ocean filled him with anguish. He could not confront again the loneliness and the tempest. Sally looked at him with her clear eyes. Aren't you glad? she asked again. I thought you'd be pleased as Punch. He met her gaze haggardly. I'm not sure, he muttered. You are funny. Most men would. He realized that he had deceived himself. It was no self-sacrifice that had driven him to think of marrying, but the desire for a wife and a home and love, and now that it all seemed to slip through his fingers, he was seized with despair. He wanted all that more than anything in the world. What did he care for Spain and its cities, Cordova, Toledo, Leon? What to him were the pagodas of Burma, and the lagoons of South Sea Islands? America was here, and now... It seemed to him that all his life he had followed the ideals that other people, by their words or their writings, had instilled into him, and never the desires of his own heart. Always his course had been swayed by what he thought he should do, and never by what he wanted with his whole soul to do he put all that aside now with a gesture of impatience he had lived always in the future and the present always always had slipped through his fingers his ideals he thought of his desire to make a design intricate and beautiful out of the myriad meaningless facts of life had he not seen also that the simplest pattern that in which a man was born, worked, married, had children, and died, was likewise the most perfect? It might be that to surrender to happiness was to accept defeat, but it was a defeat better than many victories. He glanced quickly at Sally. He wondered what she was thinking, and then looked away again. "'I was going to ask you to marry me,' he said." I thought perhaps you might, but I shouldn't have liked to stand in your way. You wouldn't have done that. How about your travel, Spain and all that? How do you know I want to travel? I ought to know something about it. I've heard you and Dad talk about it till you were blue in the face. I don't care a damn about all that. He paused for an instant and then spoke in a low, hoarse whisper. I don't want to leave you. I can't leave you. "'She did not answer. He could not tell what she thought. "'I wonder if you'll marry me, Sally.' "'She did not move, and there was no flicker of emotion on her face. "'But she did not look at him when she answered. "'If you like. Don't you want to? "'Oh, of course I'd like to have a house of my own, "'and it's about time I was settling down.' "'He smiled a little. He knew her pretty well by now, "'and her manner did not surprise him. "'But don't you want to marry me?' "'There's no one else I would marry.' "'Then that settles it. "'Mother and Dad will be surprised, won't they? "'I'm so happy. "'I want my lunch,' she said. "'Dear.' "'He smiled and took her hand and pressed it. "'They got up and walked out of the gallery. "'They stood for a moment at the balustrade "'and looked at Trafalgar Square. "'Cabs and omnibuses hurried to and fro "'and crowds passed, hastening in every direction. "'And the sun was shining.' end of chapter 122. Thank you again for joining me for this very long read of this wonderful work of W. Somerset Maugham of Human Bondage, and I hope that you will stay tuned for future readings of future classics. Thank you again.